Nephi and other Book of Mormon prophets are very clear about what they see as perhaps the central sin of the Book of Mormon, that is, separation. Throughout the book, as the role of atonement and reconciliation becomes large in trying to save their people, they find that those that separate from them, whether they be Lamanites or Zoramites, do so at a, a risk of bringing curse upon themselves, but also bringing misery to those that they have separated from. Over and over and over, separation causes great pain and problems for all involved. Certainly this sin then extends to mortality, where separation from God and from his nature causes great problems for all of us, requiring the need for a savior and for reconciliation or the atonement. Join us today as we talk about 2 Nephi 5 and that sin of separation that can be easily overcome if we will but obey and listen. Welcome to the Hidden Treasures Podcast, where we explore the rich doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Drawing on both inspired teachings and the latest research, we examine closely the revealed scriptures of the Restoration. Of course, opinions expressed do not constitute official pronouncements of the Church or its leaders. These classes are recorded live and taught by Kevin Hinckley. Thank you for taking a moment to subscribe and leave us a comment. And now, on to today's class. Okay, let's, uh, let's begin today's class. Um, I want to start today with a quote from uh, Abraham Lincoln. Um, it's always a good place to start. There's some good places to start. C.S. Lewis is one. Uh, Winston Churchill is one. Uh, Abraham Lincoln is one. Where you want, want to get a class or a talk or something started, go to these go-tos uh, or Elder Holland, and you usually get a good workable quote. Well, in his first inaugural address, obviously Lincoln is recognizing that right after his uh, election, the southern states are leaving, there's this big division going on, and he gets, so he, against that backdrop, he's going to have to give his, his inaugural ad address. And here's part of what he said. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. And then this memorable quote. The mystic chords of memory will yet swell the chorus. When again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. Is that magnificent? The mystic chords of memory will yet swell the chorus when again touched, as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. 
think that might be on the walls of the Lincoln Memorial. It is on the walls of the Lincoln Memorial. Okay. Yeah, they have his first inaugural address and then second, but this one is kind of stands out. And when you're in there, it's just hallowed ground. And yeah. You read it, and tears come to your eyes. The spirit is so strong; it's amazing. It is, yeah. So, so that's kind of where we're going today. Uh, especially, I want you to think as we look through this, the stuff that we're looking through today, that the mystic chords of memory will yet swell the chorus, and hopefully touch the better angels of our nature. Uh, and that, and as we're going to discover, that was the problem of the Book of Mormon, period. That's the problem in the Book of Mormon. Okay. All right. Well, that said, I think the recorder is on. Yes, it is. Thank you for checking. Okay. I want to go back on something that uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Because now you're going to see it play out again. But I just want to kind of remind us again that in uh, we were talking earlier about the Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul in talking to the Romans says this this is Romans 5.11 for while we were enemies to God and this has echoes of what we get in the Book of Mormon the, the natural man is an enemy to God right for while we were enemies to God, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Sometimes, uh, and again, I think it's our kind of our Christian baggage, if you will, from the Middle Ages coming forward, that we tend to think about the atonement as simply, we're going to be saved from our sins. It's about our sins and it's about being saved. So we get rid of our sins, now we're saved, but we can't be saved with our sins, so the sins need to be gone. That's why Jesus died for our sins. And it's just kind of a direct line, okay? And that's not what Paul talked about. They were not interested in, in the first century of the church. They weren't that interested in being saved from their sins. They just weren't. It, that's not what their metaphor was. Their metaphor was being reconciled. Though we were enemies to God, we were reconciled to God through his death. How much more are we saved by his life after having been reconciled? In other words, for them, the kingdom of heaven had arrived. The kingdom of heaven was here. Currently, it was not about what we might get in a in the clouds in the sky. It was about how do we live now? How do we pull together in our little house churches with Greeks and Romans and Jews and and all of the, how do we do this? And how do we create heaven right now? Well, in order to do that, we have to be reconciled to Him. And then and then this word. But not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Remember, this is the spot where William Tinsdale, when he's translating from uh, the Vulgate, and he's trying to translate the scriptures into the English, and he gets to the word reconciliation, and he goes, oh, reconciliation, recon I'm not, I need a better word. And so he's going to grab something from Julian of Norwich, and he says, instead of reconciliation, he'll create a word, at one meant, atonement. 
That's how atonement enters the English language. Is with William Tinsdale on this spot in Romans 5. Now, I think that worked back then. But I think sometimes in, in our church and other Christian churches, atonement is almost like we use atonement so casually. You just need, I, I realize you're mourning, you need the atonement. Uh, you need to get more atonement in your life. Wow, you're having a hard time. The Savior's atonement, it's almost like there's a can of atonement there. And you just need to open the can and, and, and smear on some atonement. Or we need to go get atonement or let the atonement work in your life. Well, where do I buy the atonement? You know, is it at Walmart? <laughs> you know, we're just so casual about it. And I think part of it is, is that word has lost a lot of its meaning because it's so casual. But also because in some ways our current understanding of things, reconciliation means more, I think. Atonement is such a weighted word, but reconciliation is something that we use more regularly. We got it, yeah. Reconciliation is an accounting term. And uh, you know, the Jews were accountants way back. I mean, and when Alexander the Great came in, that was one of the reasons he hired about several hundred Jews to go with him as he went to conquer Alexandria, Egypt and stuff. But it, to, to reconcile Read to do again. Con means to get together. Let's get back together. Let's again. get back together, right? And it ha but in an accounting thing, what it has to do is let's identify the differences. Then once we identify them, then decide what we need to do. Uh, do we need to change? Do we need to do more? Whatever. You know, and it's less personal. So once we identify the differences, now the next step is how do we then reconcile those differences? Yes. How, how do we bring those into... And there's still going to be differences, but how do we reconcile them so that it all works together? Boy, hang on to that thought. I think that's great. Yeah. So I'm thinking this reconciliation is a function of saving us from death and hell. But I'm thinking this saving by his life is as we emulate and follow his example, we, we are saved from ourselves, from our own stupidity. <laughs> yeah. Well, because in our, own, in our own natural stupid selves, <laughs> like the Book of Mormon, like Paul says, and I think the, you know, Joseph Smith may have been drawing a little on Paul, we're enemies. It, it, our, our nature is... is antithetical to God's nature. We have been separated. Okay? That's why, there, that's why we, we need reconciliation. So, so if I could try and reconcile this. Uh, <laughs> go, go ahead. Try and reconcile this. If drawing on Paul, I, I would disagree. I think that Paul was drawing on the Lord and so was Joseph Smith. Yeah. Th that's, that's one way of doing it. That would be one way of looking at it. Okay? Okay. So... So we get this sense. Now, does this sort of make sense to everybody so far? Okay. All right. So, yes. Lady in back. Thank you. One of the um, members of my ward, she said, well, I don't understand the atonement. And then after we talked, she said, oh, you mean that's the grace. Grace of God. Yes. I haven't used that term very much, but I thought for her it worked. Well, but, but again, for her atonement and grace, that's what I'm saying. That grace means I was, I was a lowly sinner, grace has been applied, now I'm saved. So, gra so grace is this free gift, and it is, 
But, but there's a deeper meaning to this that I think, that's why I say this is one of those plain and precious truths that I think got left during the Middle Ages that there was a, even a deeper understanding. It's not just you were sinful, now you're not. You, you, you're, you're not worth much, now you get to go to heaven and, and reflect the glory of God, which is what, where they go. Um, as much to say, uh, as Elder Oaks, uh, President Oaks had said, it's not about what we do, it's about what we've become. Reconciliation is about becoming different. It's about being changed. And grace kind of bypasses that a bit. Because your, your nature is always evil, you'll just need grace. Rather than that, that nature will be changed so that you can live with God. Okay? Yeah. Grace doesn't bestow godliness. Right? You know, the reconciliation, That's right. The first reconciliation we get is that we're going to be resurrected. Yeah, regardless of. But, but, and grace is, is great, but it doesn't make us godly. And so if we want to reconcile, the atonement is is where we give up the things that aren't godly. That's right. But, but see, in that ancient understanding, again, you weren't, you're not worthy now. Grace is applied. You're a, you're a poor wretch like me. And, and you'll actually be there, and you'll still be unworthy. It's God's grace that takes care of you. That's what I said. And, and that's not what Paul was saying, and that's not what the Book of Mormon is trying to say. Okay, so our understanding is it's the uh, ceiling room of the uh, Rome Temple, and I didn't get a chance to see a lot of the Rome Temple because, but I, but I know over here, it's right here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I know I sat in that chair on the left. That's all I know. <laughs> Okay. All right. Can I say something? Sure. You, know, you made a reference to the word life, just in the quote up there. Hey, back in Christ's time and all throughout Asia, people were and truly interested in a way of life. Yes, a way of living. A way yes. Of living. Yes. And that's why his phrasing was popular. I am the way. But also there are many, and throughout Asia there were great, great, great texts that were all called something like the way, the Tao Te Ching. Well, that, yeah, that was the, the way was kind of the code name for the Jesus followers. Yeah. Are you followers of the way? Right. A way of living, a way of being, a way of being different. Yeah, but the good life meant completely something different to them. Uh, than it does today. I think that's what I want to emphasize. And what has happened as time is grace in Christ's time did not mean what, uh, automatic, what it means now. I wouldn't know how past that, that, that's right. That. And, and so uh, I think that as we have progressed, we are digressed. You know, yeah. I don't hold you guilty if you don't hold me guilty, and that is the new grace. You know, you know grace means I'll overlook your stuff, yeah, and you overlook mine. And and by the way, and I will leave you in your stuff. Uh, I, I was talking to I, at a fireside last night in Arlington. We were talking about how the the fact that uh, in uh, the Sermon on the Plain, when when Luke is talking about that we're supposed to, if you see a sliver in somebody else's eye that you're supposed to remove the log in your own eye which really means in common language 
Let people have their stuff. You do your stuff. You go work on theirs. Don't interfere in their stuff. But the next line says, remove the sliver in your eye so you can do what? So that you can remove the sliver from somebody else's eye. Your, your job isn't finished. If, you're, if, if, if Wendy can't see because there's something in her eye, and I go, well, I'd help you except I've got stuff in my own. Good luck with that. And I walk away. That's actually a pretty selfish thing. I'm working on my stuff. Grace, by the way, is salvation of me all by myself. I walk away. Wendy still can't see. <laughs> She's still got something in her eye. So this thing hasn't changed. If the way of Jesus is to say, I'm working on my stuff so that I have the ability to see clearly to remove that which is in your eye. I'm not done till I've helped you. So you can now see, we can both see. Will the blind lead the blind? No, they both fall into the ditch. Well, I got a log, you got a sliver. Neither one of us is better. We're both in the ditch. You know, the, the job is, is to be able to do that. Yeah. So we can't help somebody else see clearly. I've got a nephew who's an eye doctor, and he can't make me see clearly, but he can give me tools so that I can see clearly if I choose to. Yeah, if I'm going to step up and then I will do those things. And, and I will have the ability to maybe give you those tools or to let you know what I went through. Then it's your choice. You can do what you do. So, so when we go into these reconciliation rooms, <laughs> I, know that, I know that we call them ceiling rooms. And, and it works at that level. But I, I want you to picture it also as a room of reconciliation. It's that place that we go to when an interesting thing is happening. We're going, it's in this room that we reconcile people to one another. They were separate. Now they're together. Okay. And, the, and by doing so, they're going to be reconciled to their posterity. It's going to be sealed reconciled to them okay in the so we have this reconciliation together but also in the temple we're also reconciled where to our heavenly parents to our heavenly family there is a reconciliation here because uh we were here they're there and we want to have all of our family now reconciled to the heavenly family we're not reconciled until we change, until we... Oh, hang on, to, hang on to that. Hang on to that. Yeah, that's where we're going. Before COVID, I had this really touching experience in the temple. And I was just sitting there as a patron and thinking about, you know, any husband or father, they want to give their family the very, very best sure. that they can. And I thought... Heavenly Father has had all of these beautiful temples built. Yeah. Our mother in heaven to bring all of their children. Sure, absolutely. And I and, thought, what a, and, and so that it just took on a much sweeter meaning to me, the building of all of these beautiful temples. Yeah, now hang on, hang on to that and this. Okay, because here, here's where we're going. So th you got this one in mind? Yes. Okay, so now. Here, here in lies the question. If the object of all of this is reconciliation, then let, let me ask you, that at one that in oneing with each other, then pray tell, what is the opposite of reconciliation? What's the opposite of atonement? 
<laughs> is involved. Separation is right. Does that make sense? If if in a, what is it? Why would we have to be reconciled? Because we we're not siled. <laughs> we have to be resiled. Okay. In other words, we have to be reconciled. We have to be atoned because we are separated. Disconnected. We are disconnected. Right. We are disconnected from heaven. We tend to we tend to call that the fall, but really, it's the the fall was what? It was the separation of man from God, which was going to be necessary for the plan, but we still are separated there. That's what religion means to reconnect. It does. It does, and and so that's the purpose of religion is to is to con- reconcile us. Those that were separated, those that were enemies to God, now need to be reconciled. You know, does that, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So another word would be disfellowship. <laughs> but it's not what happens to us; it's what we do to ourselves. Hang on to that idea. That that's right. Yeah, because we're going there. That's exactly where we're going. Okay. That again. This is the story of the Book of Mormon. Okay? This is the story of the Book of Mormon. Okay? So, let me give you an example of this then. We want to look at patterns. We were talking last time about if you want to understand the scriptures, understand the heavenly pattern that repeats itself over and over. Well, here comes this pattern. And we're going to skip all the way over to uh, 4th Nephi. Now, it came to pass that in this year, I think it's like 201 A.D., something like that, right? Oh, 231st year. Oh, thank you. Just need to read ahead. Yea, in the 231st year, there was what? A great division, okay? That, should, that, should, that word should signal something. Now there's suddenly a division. How has it been for 200 years? It's unity. No more ites. No more hyphens. We're, we're, we've been unified for 200 years. Okay? Uh, and it says, now suddenly for the first time there was a great division. Ooh, okay. What, what would that look like? Well, you know, and it came to pass that in this year there arose a group of people who were called the Nephites. Now, let me pause for a second. At the end, when the Savior comes, there are Lamanites and Nephites. There are some anti-Nephi-Lehi's running around, but I think they're north by that time. Um, reference the Hopis. That, not a different story. Um, but they're north. Lamanites and Nephites. Then for 200 years, they intermarry. Things are good. They're all intermarrying. Okay? Before it was kind of along uh, kind of ancestral lines, Lamanites, Nephites. Now after 200 years, they've intermarried. And now they're going to do it under more political line, more labeling kind of lines. Because they're going to say, there arose a people who were called the Nephites. That would mean some would have descended from Laman and Lemuel. Some would have descended from Nephi, whatever, Zoram. But this is a group that's going to now be distinguished as Nephites. And they were, how do you, how do you know now what a Nephite is in 230 AD? 
Well, they were the true believers in Christ. If you're a true believer in Christ, you're going to be called a Nephite. Okay? And among them, there were those who were called by the Lamanites. So who's, who's doing the designating here? The Lamanites are. Called by the Lamanites, Jacobites, Josephites, and Zoramites. We know who you are. We're going to identify you. Okay? We're going to define you. We're going to give you an identity. Okay? And it came to pass that they who rejected the gospel were called Lamanites. Right? So in other words, in those days, those identities would then say, if you're believed, doesn't matter what your ancestry is, if you believe you're a Nephite or a Josephite, how, how we're going to, and if you don't believe, we're going to call ourselves Lamanites after the traditions of these people down the road, right? Okay? Uh, and they did not uh, dwindle in underbelief. There wasn't like this gradual little thing. They willfully rebelled against the gospel. Willfully rebelled. Okay? We're going to willfully rebel. So first of all, well, okay, so hold on here. And they did teach their children that they should not believe, even as their fathers from the beginning did, win, did dwindle. Now, so there's a pattern here, and I need you to see the pattern. Here's how the pattern works. First of all, you reject the name. If you're going to, if you're going to head in a different direction, uh, first of all, you have to reject the name you were called by, whatever that obedience thing is. I'm going to no longer, I am no longer a Mormon. You know, I'm going to reject, I'm, no, I'm going to reject the faith of my fathers, which means I need to pull my name from the records of the church. I don't want to be recognized as one of those people. I'm going to separate myself, not just physically, but I need to separate my name from their name. Does that make sense? Is that happening today? Oh, uh, uh, is this happening just a little bit today? I am no I I am an exmo. <laughs> I am now an exmo. I'm a you're no longer a Mormon. You're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that, there's the problem, right? So, so now the Mormons are saying we're not Mormon. The Mormons are saying, no, we're not Mormon either. We're Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, well, that's okay. I'm still a progmo. <laughs> I'm a progressive uh, or a uh, 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 prog exmo. Or, you know, it's like we're trying to find some label that says, I ain't them. I'm not a Utah Mormon. <laughs> I'm I'm one of I'm one of Zion Mormons, not the Utah Mormon. You know, it's like we we do all this identifying kind of thing, right? Okay, um, but you got to change the name. Part if you're if you're going to go through this pattern, first thing you got to do is identify who the believers are and then be named by something different. Okay, okay. So you got to rename yourself. What do you do next? Well, next step is you've got to do what? Separate yourself. Either I'm going to separate myself from you or I'm going to separate you. Look what happened in Nauvoo. 
When we no longer like those Mormons in Nauvoo, we met together in Warsaw and Carthage and uh, Quincy and all over the place, and we decided you should be separated. We, should, we decided that those, those Josephites on the river should be going away. Uh, and so, uh, so off, off the, the uh, saints went as they're crossing the plains. They're saying, we're going off to, to Zion, you know, to, uh, off to create our thing. And goodbye, United States. We're out of here. You guys are going down in flames. We're out of here. We're going to separate. What did, what did uh, Lehi need to do with his family? Separate. You gotta, we got to be out of here. Okay, so sometimes we separate ourselves from the world. Sometimes the world separates us and segregates us out. Okay? So now, once we're, segre- once we're segregated, now we're separated, now we are consiled. I'm not sure what consiled means. It's like the opposite of reconciled. You're going to... A con means together, or to do together, to join together. Oh, so... And then siled is just a verb. It's like a... So, so, con- so consiled would be together. Okay, so reconciled. We are no longer reconciled. We are, we are separated out. Now, is that enough? We'll just go to different places. Oh, no. You've got to do two last things if you're going to really kind of do the entire pattern. What's the next step? Once you're separated, now what? You've got to hate them. They're them. Hate them. Those are them. You gotta cancel them. We gotta cancel them. You no longer have a place on our Facebook. You no longer have a place in social media. You no longer have a place in our society. We think you are so vile you should go away. How dare you slap somebody at the Oscars? <laughs> you, we no longer like you. You are now canceled. We thought we liked you. Now we don't. Because you did something we don't like. So we're going to cancel you. Okay, so we're going to develop hatred. Uh, okay, now, but here's, the, here's the, the challenge that comes then with hating somebody else. What if you have, like, like Lincoln is saying, we have a shared history. We have a shared history. How can you hate? We're, we were part of us. And that's part of what he was saying in the first inaugural address. We fought the Revolutionary War together. How can you hate us, South? You know, we still like you. Just don't do the slave thing. <laughs> okay? Well, first of all, you develop the hatred, but what else do you need to do? You've got to rewrite the history. Got to rewrite the history. Yeah. All of this is happening in our schools. It's all happening. Yeah, you, you can you can see the current. They're teaching the kids from a young age to do all these things. Not all of them. Not all teachers. No. There's kind of a movement to do all of this. Well, and it's one thing if we if we re, if we look at our history, we examine our history carefully. It's another thing if it's done out of a sense of hatred and canceling and, and stuff like that. And okay. And because the result is, is that we stay consiled. We're not no longer consiled. There has to be a reconciliation because we've now separated ourselves. And once we're separated and we're segmented, then we've got a problem. Okay? So, that, so there's the pattern. Does that look familiar to anybody? Okay. All right. So there is 
Scriptural separation is actually called something specific. We call this what? The cursing. I do not believe for a moment, I try not to make really strong statements, I do not believe for a moment that God curses people, even though oftentimes in the scriptures it'll say God cursed them, or he cursed the land, or something like that. As, as we were talking about before, how does a cursing happen? You do it to yourself. He, he puts the blessings on the table, and you're going to choose by your actions to shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> your, your cursing is a self-cursing. And I know, again, the scriptures will say at times God did the cursing, but watch closely how it happens, and you'll see it's actually, we're pretty good at self-cursing. We do stupids without him having to put stupids on us. Okay? So, scriptural separation. So, one of the areas that give, give uh, people attacking the church uh, an area of a, a certain amount of heartburn uh, and not liking the Book of Mormon is going to be found in 2 Nephi 5. Okay? Okay, so, uh, where angels fear to tread, we will dive in. Therefore, the word of the Lord was fulfilled, which he spake unto me, saying, Insomuch as they, the Lamanites, will not hearken unto the words, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Does the Lord want to cut off the Lamanites? No. Heck no. Well, he wants them reconciled. How did they get unsiled. <laughs> well, they, they weren't hearkening, right? Okay. And behold, they were cut off from his presence. Right? Now we'd say, well, God cursed them. Well, this was a self-cursing. Yeah. So, so the key word to me in that is, is the word in as much. Because it's not binary. This is it happens as much as you put it on yourself. That's right. I'm, I'm reminded of the prophet Balaam, and and uh, he was asked to, and frankly, I think he was a wicked guy, but he was, he's been noted as a prophet, you know, and he was asked to curse Israel, and he said, I can't curse Israel, but he says, if you send a bunch of prostitutes down to Israel and teach them how to be wicked, then God will curse them. Yeah. So. And they and they can send all that that they want down to if if nobody responds they're not cursed. Yeah. It's still their call, right? Okay. So he had caught. That's why I say the language sometimes is a little bit troubling. I think we have to kind of see this in context. This is where the problem lies. He had caused the cursing to come upon them. I think that's misnomer. Uh, yea, even a sore cursing because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, that they had become like unto flint. Okay? So, let, let's hop over to 2 Nephi. Whoop, don't want to go there yet. Over here. Oh, as we look at 2 Nephi 5, I, I want to point one other thing before I, before I hit this. It's kind of interesting that it's kind of implied, we don't know for sure, but certainly there's an implication here. If you scroll all the way down to the bottom of 2 Nephi 5, verse 30, Nephi is going to say in 29, I'd, 
I kept the plate, I kept the records upon my plates. Remember the big ones? Okay. Then it came to pass that the Lord and, uh, said unto me, Make other plates, and thou shalt engrave in these things upon them which are good in my sight, for the profit of my people. The fact that he is doing this at the end of his life has a suggestion, I don't know for sure, but it certainly makes sense to me, um, that he actually made the small plates after he arrived. That means that first Nephi, I, Nephi, having been born of good parents, is actually written after the Lamanites, have, they're in the promised land, after the Nephites have separated, towards the end of his life. So if you can see all of first Nephi as a laying the groundwork for what, the, what Laman and Lemuel did, what we did, how we got to this place. It, seem, it seems to suggest that. Okay? It comes after. Okay? So after he's battled with his brethren. So that means the, the Psalm of Nephi and everything. That's all, that all comes long after they're here. So, Alright, so back here to verse 21. He, he, the, the cursing had come upon them, a sore cursing because of their iniquity. They hardened their hearts. Uh, they had become like unto flint. And here's the one that gives people heartburn. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. Okay, in our modern 2022, that is tough. Now, I've read, I've read Book of Mormon scholars on both sides of this saying, ah, it's metaphorical. No, they were racist. You know, it's just like, uh, and I'm no, I don't know that we're necessarily going to solve that today. But I want you to see some things in terms of uh, how the Nephites now saw the Lamanites. Okay? There is a certain amount of, little, uh, of, of anger and separation because they weren't reconciled. Um, 22, and thus saith the Lord God, I will cause that they shall be loathsome unto thy people, save they shall repent of their iniquities. Okay? Now, loathsome could be, well, they're darker than us, which is kind of dumb because they were Semite to begin with. You know, they're already dark. It isn't like there are Caucasians and really dark people. Okay? Um, but I, but I, want you to, I want you to see something for just a second. Went through and found. Look at the language of the Nephites towards the Lamanites. Nephi says, well, they were dark and loathsome and a filthy people. Again, they are full of mischief and subtlety. Enos, they were a wild and ferocious and bloodthirsty people. Mormon, they were a wild and ferocious and a bloodthirsty people. Okay? But we love them. <laughs> no, no, not really. Alma, they were a wild and a hardened and a ferocious people. You, you, can you hear a narrative? Alma, they're becoming wicked and wild and ferocious, even becoming Lamanites. What does it mean to be a Lamanite? Wicked, wild, and ferocious. <laughs> okay? Oh, yeah. Okay? Mormon. I, I'm looking into, into history. Future Lamanites. What do future Lamanites look like? Well, they're dark, filthy, and loathsome. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. So does the word wild mean rebellious and does the word ferocious mean contentious? Yeah. And when that, see, if we're just looking at it from, we just think, because I have a hard time saving these people. They're hard and you're not going to go anywhere. Think about the conversation between the people of Messiah when the sons of Messiah want to go off to these dark, loathsome people. And they go, you're going to die because we're seeing them this way. I think the, the explanation is more what you just said. I think it's interesting when the sons of Messiah go to preach the gospel, they talk about the Lamanites as their brethren. They do, don't they? These are our brethren, and they, they were seen as the most lost of all people, and yet guess what? When, you, when they were able to see it, the Spirit moves upon them, they accept the gospel. Turns out they weren't as hardened and ferocious as we thought, but really, the, where does the wild and ferociousness come from? Natural man. Part of it, and... Remember, if you're going to separate out, the last thing you need to do is rewrite the history. Where does the history, the tradition come from for these guys? From their fathers. By their history. By an understanding that the Nephites had stolen their right to worship and all that. Yeah. So I don't know about the skin color issue, but my wife points out that the countenance of an individual who is devoid of the Spirit is a dark countenance. Well, Nephi says it's like flint. Unlike those who are filled with the Spirit who have a light countenance. Sure. And we talk about they look darker. You know, they just dark, their, your, their features darken, right? It's in the eyes. That's right. See, th and this is, why, this is why they're at least on this side of the, the thing that says this whole idea about the dark skin and stuff like that is it's completely metaphorical. It's just a darkened lack of the spirit kind of thing. Uh, then the other side, no, I think they, they... By the way, these guys were intermarrying with a darker skin people if, if it really was in the Yucatan. So maybe it was dark. You know, and, you, and I hear this go, and I, I, could, fill, I could fill this room with, with articles on both sides of this issue. We don't have an answer on this, quite frankly. But we do know that how the Nephites saw them. Jacob. And Jacob is going to go so far as to use them in his great talk at the temple. Uh, and he's going to say, Behold the Lamanites, your brethren, whom ye hate, because of their filthiness. By the way, it doesn't say skin, does it? For their filthiness, and the cursing which hath come upon their skins... There's a darkening there, okay? Don't know. But they're better than you. They love their wives more than you do, okay? He's going to go down that road, right? So, uh, I want to point out one other thing here. Let's get back over to the scriptures. So, while we're looking at this issue... Uh, before we talk about how to reconcile, I want you to see what Enos was really struggling with in this whole arena, this whole cursing thing. So I'm going to pop over here to Enos 1, 14. Now remember when Enos is doing his great prayer and he's trying... To, and, he, and he, first of all, he reconciles himself. And then he says, okay, now I want my brethren. Wow, I really want these Lamanites. And he says, um, 
This was what the desire that I desired of him, that if it so be that my people, the Nephites, should fall into transgression, by any means be destroyed, and the Lamanites should not be destroyed. Here's what he wants. The Lord God would preserve a record of my people. Why? What's the purpose of the record of his people? To change the history. To change the history in the minds of the Lamanites. Maintain the proper history. This is really what happened, which is why Nephi wrote the book in the first place to say exactly what all these experiences with the angel and what his father's patriarchal blessing all said, yeah, as long as you're righteous, you will do this. If you don't, you... so I didn't steal the kingship from Laman and Lemuel. <laughs> Dang it. It was legit. Stop fighting. That the Lord God would preserve a record of my people, the Nephites, that if by some power, the power of his holy arm, that it might be brought forth at some future day unto the Lamanites, that perhaps they might be brought unto reconciliation. Now, he says, however, for the present, our strugglings are in vain. And we're, we're just bending our plow here. It ain't working. We're were vain in restoring them to the true faith, but look at what they were going to do. Remember, this is, this is how a cursing works. If you're doing cursing, there are certain things that you do. And this is, and he's going to say, and they swore in their wrath that if it were possible, they would do what? Destroy the records. Of all the things. It, 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 he's not saying they swore in their wrath if possible, they would destroy us. That was in there. But specifically what Enos was really worried here is that they would do what? Destroy the records. Destroy the history. That they would destroy our records and us. (laughs) Also the traditions of our fathers. So this is where where his angst kicks in. So wherefore, I knowing that the Lord God was... Able to preserve our records, I cried unto him continually, for he said unto me, Okay, Enos, whatsoever you ask in faith, you'll believe. Okay. Uh, And so I had faith, he says. uh, And I did cry unto the Lord that he would do what? Preserve the records. Please preserve the records. It's It's the only chance that the Lamanites have, I think, for reconciliation, is that they've got to get the records. They've got to get the right history. Okay? Wow, preserve the records. And he covenanted with me that he would bring them forth where? Unto the Lamanites in his own due time. Due time at this point is a long ways away. It's 1830. Boy, that thing's going to show up, right? He preserved the record in his own due time. And I, Enos, knew it would be according to the covenant which he had made. Therefore, finally, what? My soul did rest. The records are safe. Can you begin to see why it is that four months before Joseph Smith gets the plates in September, uh, right around May, remember he comes dragging his little self into the, into the home there in, in Palmyra, and, and Mother Smith goes, where have you been? And he goes, I just received the most severe chastising of my life from the angel. 
<laughs> who said, yeah, get going. Quit trying to figure out ways to make money off of the plates, dang it. That's not the purpose of the plates. Go back to the title page of the plate. When you finally get there, you're going to find there's a purpose here to convince the Jew and Gentiles that Jesus is the Christ and the remnant of Israel, the Lamanites, that the traditions of the fathers. That's the purpose of the plates. Go get those Lamanites. And by the way, the Gentiles will be converted along the way. It's very cool how it works. Yeah. So, Enos soul rests here because these records are preserved. Yes. It's safe. Now I can... Which Lamanites? Is he recognizing these records are going to be brought oh, that's a good to question. the Lamanites that he's talking about in verse 14 during the millennium when they're in the spirit world? Or is he thinking about the great-great-grandchildren that didn't happen to get killed? Good question. Good question. I mean, I mean, we could say, yeah, obviously it's all, it, it works on all levels, but that is an interesting question, which is ultimately for him what was most in his mind, and it might have been more immediate than that. Okay, possible, but good question. Okay, therefore my soul did rest. Uh, now, he's going to, now, but listen to his... Listen to his description of these Lamanites. <laughs> There's a couple of fun things in here. This is him. Okay, these guys that we're going to try and reconcile. I bear record, thus saith Enos, <laughs> that the people of Nephi did seek diligently to restore, reconcile, the Lamanites under the true faith of God, but their, our labors were in vain, their hatred was fixed, they were led by their evil nature that they became wild and ferocious and bloodthirsty people, full of idolatry and filthiness, feeding on the, the beasts of prey. He doesn't say feeding on beasts. He says beasts of prey. Why would he specifically say one of the things they did was feeding on the beasts of prey? Who are beasts of, which one of all the beasts in the field, which ones are the beasts of prey? Predators. Predators. Why is he saying they're feeding on the flesh of predators? Seems like, seems like a deer or a rabbit would be easier. But again, if this is in Mesoamerica, we're talking about jaguars. We're talking about some pretty ferocious beasts. Those are the ones they want to eat. So what, why the beasts of prey? Because they're a beast of prey. It's really close. They are a beast of Why? Thinking. That's one. There's two reasons here. That's one. That that the law of Moses. Again, these are still uh, living the Mosaic law, and and Deuteronomy forbids the eating beasts of, or these beasts that attack. Yeah, predators. Show them what how tough they were. I mean, wouldn't it be easier to kill a deer or a rabbit? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so part of it, I think part of it is, is they were rebelling against the law of Moses. That for sure. Okay. But the second one is, again, when you go, um, how many of you ever been to, down in Belize, been to Lamanai? Okay. You see the, the uh, temple of the jaguar? Okay, when you first come into to Lamanai over there, and the, and the temple of the jaguar is right there. And it's constructed in such a way so that uh, the, the jaguar face is on the front of that. Why? 
Because they worshipped the jaguar. They, they worshipped it. They wanted to emulate. In other words, if I want to become like God, I need to become like a jaguar. So what would they do to the kids? If, if this is going to be royal kids, then what am I going to do to the kids of uh, uh, royalty? First of all, they're going to shave their teeth so that leaves them with fangs. Okay? Then what? As, when they're infants, I'm going to put a board on their forehead and press, pull it tight so their forehead begins to slant backwards. Okay? And we have all kinds of petroglyphs of, of these. I'm going to also then be, begin to try and pull the eyes back so that we want, if I want to take on the image of God, I need to take on the image of a jaguar. Of a predator. Okay? Now, if they did actually go hunt, now, I, I've, so now I look like a jaguar, but if I can go hunt the beasts of prey, and I can kill them, and maybe I'm going to eat their heart or something like that, now I am doing what? Taking on the power of, right. uh, of a jaguar. I'm going to take on the power of a god. So there's kind of the, I am the top beast in the field if I can kill the predator. So in other words, I'm going to rely on my own power rather than on, I'm, I'm better than God. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? I become God, I'm better than God. So I'm going to, that's why I'm going to partake of their, I'm going to eat their flesh. I'm not eating some wimpy little rabbit here. I eat jaguar. I'm having jaguar steaks for dinner. Yeah. So, so in their society, if you're wearing a leopard skin or a jaguar. Yeah, yes, yes. That, that's a, you're telling all your neighbors, I killed a jaguar. Yeah. That's I got this and I, I'm, and I, actually, I'm going to cut off the head. And I'm going to hollow it out so that I got the, the skull and the fang and stuff like that. And I'm going to wear it as a headdress. That's going to be on top of me. Okay? I am a jaguar. <laughs> okay? I am a god in, in, that, in that kind of looking at things. So it really kind of makes sense. Um, so let's see. Uh, feeding on beasts of prey, dwelling in tents. Wandering in the wilderness, uh, and then we get all of this description, and they did eat nothing except it was raw meat, and they were continually seeking to destroy us. <laughs> okay, so this is this is the others. That's them. That's the them's. Okay, and and he goes, well, we may not be able to save them, but at least, by the way, I have a belief because of the records that whether it's this people couple of generations down, whether it's the Lamanites in the future that the Gentiles are going to teach, whether it's in the spirit world, somehow this wild and ferocious people will be reconciled. They will somehow come back. Well, that's, that's quite a statement. And so when he's going to talk about um, and so we get all of this language about cursed is he that mixed with him that mixed with their seed. They'll be cursed with the same cursing. In other words, you're going to take on the same traditions. You're going to take on the same ideas. And, and, uh, and because of their cursing, they did become an idle people. Well, you can see where the language is harsh. You can see why people struggle with this. If they're just simply taking a very literal reading of, of this part of the, the Book of Mormon. Okay? All right. So, 
By the way, it is in this, but, but notice what uh, Nephi does a very subtle thing. One of the things that Nephi does and Mormon does really well is that in the Book of Mormon, they juxtapose opposites next to each other. So in the middle of all of this nastiness, look at what Nephi has inserted just a few verses before. And I don't think it's an accident. 16. I, Nephi, did build a temple. And I did construct it after the manner of the temple of Solomon, save it were not built of so many precious things. They could not be found upon the land. Therefore, it could not be built like under Solomon's temple. But the manner of the construction was like unto the temple of Solomon, and the workmanship was exceeding fine. And I caused that they should be industrious and to labor with their hands. What's he saying? Point-counterpoint. It is point-counterpoint. At the same time as these guys were descending into all of the stuff that they were doing, here's what I taught my people. We build a temple. And what, and what would they do in the temple? The temple, even though it was a Law of Moses temple, you're still going to have the Day of Atonement. You're going to have the Day of Reconciliation in the temple. Yeah. Isn't that what President Nelson is doing right now? There's so much yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. I'm going, to push back, I'm going to push back against the divisions of the world and the polarization and the conflicts of the world, and I'm going to respond to that threat with what? More temples. Yeah. A little subtle thing. President, what, what would have happened if, instead of like going down to the to be able to buy temple clothes. What would happen if we were able to make our own temple clothes out of whatever cloth and everything that we wanted to? <laughs> then what would happen? Diversity of style. Uh, it'd be a diversity of style. <laughs> oh man, You're, my temple clothes, I'm doing, I'm doing silk, or I, I'm going to embed Precious, I mean, in other words, I've got to somehow separate myself from you. See, you, me. You, me. Me. And, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm going to go into the place where we're going to all wear the same thing and be reconciled together. I have to find some way to divide me from you. Yeah, I remember the, the first time, first or second time I went in the temple, there was, a, there was an older gentleman... Uh, who had on his on his shoulder he, he's older and his and his shoulders were drooping stuff like that older gentleman and I and I'm assuming that it was his wife had lovingly sewn a snap yeah. <laughs> on his on his shoulder and lovingly sewn a snap on his on his robe right yeah. so when he would dress he'd it snapped that on there, and I remember thinking, "Wow, that's cool. <laughs> that, that that's a different sort of thing, right?" <laughs> um, we see the Velcro and stuff now on people. Are, yeah, but that doesn't bother me. But I, we had an ordnance worker who, when he was in Asia, had his suit and all all that stuff made over there. And he had a finely tailored suit, and I'd never considered. <laughs> oh, never considered oh, that a thing. oh! We could, uh, as as a non-member friend of mine said, if you could go down to the honeybee store. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you could go down to that Mormon honeybee store, <laughs> Deseret book, um, and buy stuff like that, it, it's just like, what what kind of uh, choose the right ring do you have? Do you have like the, you, you got the cheap one, you got the gold one, you got the gold, uh, you know, choose the right with the, with the diamond. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, we still have this sense of, I somehow have to divide uh, or establish myself. I mean, we just have the, the natural man just wants to separate and, and uh, divide. And everything about the temple is, come on, guys, <laughs> we're to be together. We're, we're trying to reconcile, not separate. Yeah? I think there's another, I, I know everything you're saying, you know, I've heard people who are presidents of auxiliaries talk about their presidency. Yes, yes. Anyway, uh, <laughs> when you, they have been uh, separated from their, they were probably related to some of these people. Uh, they have a family history, maybe. They do? Yeah. And so, I know from personal experience, when you have this sort of thing in your family, doing good and trying to do the right thing and taking care of yourself and working in the sphere that you're, that you're in, like going to the temple, doing temple work, all of that, makes you feel better. It may not change the other side, but it, you're doing something positive instead of being mad all the time. And when they make those descriptions of them, they probably were true. I mean, don't forget, they probably were being physically harmed. In yeah, they were. By that. And it's very hard when someone is physically hurting you. I mean, not just being mean to you at I family know. dinners, but physically hurting you. Right. Not to just say that. But the Nephi builds a temple. Yeah, his, so his answer to the divisions is the temple. He gives them something positive to do with their life. Isn't that cool? Which the Lord wants you to do. And it heals you. That's right. And everything about, for all of the, I, I know where the law of Moses descended into 633 laws and, and all that kind of stuff. I get that. Okay. But the law of Moses was also trying to find some way to reconcile the children of Israel back to God. They had, they had separated out. We don't want to go up the mountain. That's too scary. We'll sit back here. Okay, I'll give you laws that will point you towards me. Everything about the law of Moses was ultimately pointing back to, this, to Jesus that was coming. And a lot of times they, they didn't see it. But anyway. All right. Uh, yeah. Another thing they did that made themselves look dark is that they did things yeah to try and sit, go yeah yeah so in other words but we do want to separate ourselves and we're saying so, so the, the challenge and let me just leave with this at the end Zion is about individual people with individual spiritual gifts individual talents uh, approaches to things viewpoints that whole thing but at the same time we're supposed to unify all these different spiritual gifts into one body as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 the eye can't say to the foot I don't need you the eye is different from the foot but I still need you so we don't separate we find a way to work together and that's the challenge that is, that is the challenge of, of all of this so uh, I bear you my testimony that it is about coming together it's about reconciling not changing everybody into robots that all think and dress the same way but it's about utilizing all of our skills and then working in together in connection with that and i leave that with you in jesus name amen, amen. amen.
By the way, in preparation for uh, next week, you know, where fools, where angels fear to tread, um, we're going to take a look at the place, the reason for Isaiah in Second Nephi tomorrow. There's this big chunk of, remember Elder Holland is the one who says that the Lord wants to hold, hide something from Latter-day Saints. He'll hide it in Second Nephi because <laughs> he'll never find it. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about Isaiah in Second Nephi next week. So, All right. Our dear and eternal Father in heaven, we're so grateful today for all the blessings we enjoy, and especially this 